Welcome back to the first news review of 2024 with me, Claire Warren, editor of Windpower Monthly. And me, Ian Griggs, deputy editor of Windpower Monthly. We're back with our regular panellists for their take on our recent news coverage. An academic has reopened the debate on turbine sizes, claiming that bigger is better after all. While it's also emerged that Siemens Gamesa is due to test the prototype of a new offshore turbine, which could be the most powerful in the world. We ask our panellists if the fragile consensus among Western OEMs on turbine sizes is about to be broken. Later in the episode, we ask our guests to discuss two separate reports which reveal a similar truth. We are not moving fast enough on wind power installation targets to meet either ambitious COP28 or EU goals. But what can we do about it? Meanwhile, developers suffered a series of legal setbacks over the last few weeks over everything from threats to endangered species to trespassing on land which they do not own. Do our guests think this represents a failure of community engagement on the part of developers? Finally, we look at floating wind. The world's first commercial-scale floating wind farm is to be towed back to shore for heavy maintenance. Does that mean this nascent industry is not progressing as fast as hoped? All this and predictions for the year ahead in wind. It's all on the latest News Review podcast. Before we get started, tickets are still available for Wind Power Monthly's Blades USA Conference to be held in Austin, Texas from February the 19th to the 20th. More information is available on www.bladesusaforum.com. Joining us for the first news review of 2024 to discuss some of the biggest industry stories, we welcome back our regular panellists, Shashi Bala and Will Sheard, both of whom are regular contributors to Windpower Monthly's analysis and opinion sections. Shashi is Director and Head of Research in Renewable Energy at the Brinkman Group. Hello. And Will is Director of Analysis and Due Diligence at consultancy firm K2 Management. Hello. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us again, Chashi and Will, and a belated Happy New Year to you both. We've got a lot to comment on today, so let's get straight down to the discussion. It emerged in January that Siemens Gamesa is due to test the prototype of a new offshore turbine. Although the manufacturer has released scant details, including when installation is likely to be, it has hinted that the prototype could be more powerful than any other offshore turbine currently on the market. Over the course of 2023, it's been a very quiet year in terms of new size-related turbine launches for the Western manufacturers, certainly, although obviously a very different picture in China. Do you think that this news from Siemens Gamesa might herald a shift, perhaps, in the announcements that we can expect from the Western turbine manufacturers over the course of this year? Shashi, shall we start with you? Sure. To start with, West is mentioning that the turbine OEM should slow down the turbine's arms race. That statement is certainly applicable to onshore because in the onshore, most of the turbine OEMs are bleeding and they need to slow down the turbine technology. While in the offshore, that may be only partially true. Siemens is market leader with about 60% of the cumulative market share. And in the foreseeable future as well, we anticipate that Siemens would have anywhere between 50 and 60% global excluding China market share. So that dominance is likely to continue. I would expect that to have that technology edge and also defend its commercial market share position, Siemens will continue to innovate on the turbine technology. The new prototype is likely to bridge the gap to 
the 20 plus megawatt next generation turbine. So today, Siemens Vestas G are selling 14, 15 megawatt turbines. But GE, because of its uncompetitiveness in terms of technology in the current generation turbine, Halyard X, they will be forced to come up with a 17, 18 megawatt turbine during the course of 2024. And I anticipate that Siemens will certainly counter that technology with probably a similar configuration of 17, 18 megawatts with 250 meter rotors. And Vestas would probably continue to leverage on the same technology in the foreseeable future for installations up to 2030 uh, on the current platform. And I would expect that the turbine race will continue in the Western turbine OEMs. In terms of the project development profiles across multiple markets, multiple will conditions, we certainly need to have multiple product platforms, they should not be of the opinion that a single platform can address most of the global market needs. So they need to have a diverse portfolio to address those diverse needs. We've very recently had an interview in Wimper Monthly by our technology correspondent, Isaac DeVries, and he interviewed a professor from TU Delft University of Technology, Carlos Simo Ferreira, and he was making the point that offshore, bigger and taller, is better when it comes to turbine size. And the point that he was making specifically is about bringing the wind resource in from the upper layers and the fact that over time we are increasingly going to have less good wind resource in that the best sites have been taken. Really, it comes down to whether the good professor is right that we've got to install the biggest and the tallest turbines or whether the turbine manufacturers themselves are correct to say, actually, we shouldn't be trying to race to the top. We should be trying to optimise existing platforms. It's good for us as turbine manufacturers, but it's also good for installation targets as well, because we can roll it out more quickly. Will, do you think both arguments can be right at the same time? Yes, I think certainly both can be true. And I think that the physical arguments put forward in the report are true from a scientific perspective, that larger turbines capture more airflow, reach higher. But those are sort of diminishing returns as you get larger and larger and introduces additional complexity from an engineering perspective. And also on the sort of more commercial business side, that the, the work to actually develop, deploy and operate reliable machinery gets more difficult. I was actually quite surprised to hear uh, Siemens coming out so soon with an announcement of a larger turbine, given a lot of the discourse last year about let's slow down. I think in an ideal world, there would be some kind of consensus that 15 megawatts is enough for now. There's still a lot of shallow water to, to develop around the world. I think the capacity targets are achievable with circa 15 megawatt turbine sizes. But we're still in a competitive environment and we've got the Chinese OEMs taking steps ahead of European ones. It's very complicated. I was sort of quite hopeful that we'd enter a slightly more sedate pace of turbine development, but it looks like that might not be the case. In terms of turbine size, the OEMs might have one opinion, but what about the developers? Are you getting any feedback from them around the size of turbine they want and whether they might, for instance, be looking more towards the Chinese market where we are seeing more of the announcements on larger turbines? 
I think that the business case still suggests that bigger is better, uh, unfortunately. And for that reason, that a lot of the developers that we're speaking with in Europe are now seriously considering how a Chinese turbine supplier can be part of a bankable project in European waters. And I think that Siemens Vessels GE are obviously also aware of that and understand that this is a seriously developing competition. We've had a double whammy of gloomy reports on wind installation targets over the last kind of three or four weeks. The first of which was from the International Energy Agency. And the IEA said that reaching COP28 targets to triple renewable energy installation by 2030 was possible, but that, and I'm quoting here, major interventions from governments around the world were needed to achieve this goal. And meanwhile, we've got the trade body Wind Europe, which says that despite a record 17 or maybe 19 gigawatts, depending on how you look at it, of wind installed across the EU last year, there's only roughly half the 30 gigawatts needed each year to reach the target of more than 40% of all energy from renewables in Europe by 2030. The summary of these reports seems to be we're just not moving quickly enough on installation. Shashi, are we seeing any signs of the major interventions on renewable policy from governments around the world, which the IEA says is needed? There have been steps taken in the last 12, 24 months to accelerate the rollout. One of the fundamental changes is the EU has stated that the increased and accelerated deployment and increased focus on renewables and most importantly, permitting is one of the biggest bottleneck for onshore wind today. I think that's certainly one of the best levers to accelerate rollout. And we can already see momentum picking up uh, in the European markets. Germany is a great example. You know, after the peak in 2017 and year over year, it has continuously plummeted the onshore installations. Now we are seeing a gradual recovery in the installations and most importantly, also the auction and permitted volume has also increased significantly. So in the next few years, we would expect as a ramp up of activity in the largest European market, Germany. And it is slightly optimistic to expect that uh, many countries will reach those targets, but at least majority of the markets are heading in the right direction as a block. If you look at uh, far west, in the United States, after the IRA was announced, we were already anticipating that uh, in Q1 and Q2 of uh, 2023 that the orders will start flowing in. But unfortunately, that was delayed by two, three quarters. And we have seen that the order intake momentum picking up in Q3 and Q4. And if you turn towards uh, Asia Pact, in terms of tenders, there is a 20% increase in the tendering activity in China in 23 over 22. And the second biggest market in the region, India, we have also seen significant commercial traction in the market. They have had uh, significantly higher targets. There is an entire new segment that has opened up. The commercial and industrial offtake uh, increments has increased significantly. So in most of the markets, we already see a positive momentum. And I would expect that 2024 is an inflection point and we will continue to see in 25 and 26 increased commercial activity and as well as uh, installation activity across markets and across segments. That's interesting. So major interventions may be in one or two places around the world, but definitely increased momentum 
across the board. Will, in the EU, can you envisage the block installing 30 gigawatts of wind this year or indeed in any year up to 2030? To be very honest, I think it's a long shot, but I think the movement's in the right direction. There are new markets emerging in the EU and elsewhere. So as well as more established markets in Germany, Netherlands, France will start to step up. Poland, the first bigger big projects will be installed in Poland within the next few years. Uh, then you've got Sweden, Baltic states, and then everything that's going on in the in southern Europe and the Mediterranean as well, which we tend to sort of forget about a little bit. So there's a lot to be developed. You know, although it's been maybe a little bit painful, the last year or two has been a bit of a reality check for the industry. I think the regulators, supply chain, developers, etc., understand better what the industry needs to be successful, whether that's big intervention or just minor greasing of the wheels to keep things moving. I think we've learned quite a lot. I'm feeling optimistic for the industry in general, but I still think the 30 gigawatts per year is a lot. It wouldn't, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were speaking in 28, 29 and, and we're absolutely rocking. There's, there's quite a long way to go. Given the fact that we would be wildly optimistic that we're going to hit those kind of targets by 2030, but do you think maybe in the years that follow that, we might see more of an acceleration and perhaps maybe by 2035, we might be more on track towards the 2050 net zero goals, for instance? I think that's quite feasible. I don't think the ramp up itself is unrealistic. I think we're probably just delayed by a few years. 30 gigawatts is very optimistic, but it's certainly not unachievable, especially with there are a lot of uh, untapped markets. Also, the momentum in the offshore is also gaining significantly. If you think about the order intake for Siemens, they've already increased by 300% in 2023 compared to 2022. Vestas has increased by five folds their order intake year over year in the offshore. So there is a good momentum picking up across markets. And the same is applicable for onshore as well. Today, we are talking about 100 gigawatt average. But when we go to 2030, we would be certainly about 200 gigawatts of annual installations. That's a number that is unfathomable today, but it is certainly achievable uh, when we get to that time frame. Even if we reach a 200 gigawatt mark, we would still fall below by 500 gigawatts of governmental targets around the world. So what's the solution to that? I mean, that sounds like we've got to take some fairly radical action. I was going to say, it sounds like we've got a mountain to climb there. Indeed, it is, it is not an easy feat uh, by any measure. Uh, I think one of the key levers is, uh, I always uh, hate to admit, but uh, policy is by far the biggest backbone to support this industry. If there are right policy measures across multiple markets, those actions percolating down to the developers in the downstream community and the supply chain in the upstream community. The biggest uh, showstopper today is the having a stable policy across many markets. We can only think of U.S. as the only market where we currently have a stable long-term policy, uh, which would incentivize the developers and the manufacturers. But excluding that, though we have high-level policies in Europe and many parts of the world, it is not directly incentivizing uh, any players in the value chain. We're going to talk about some of the legal challenges which uh, developers have faced. They've faced a series of setbacks, no question about it, over the last three or four weeks due to court rulings which have gone against them. NL, 
been told to dismantle a 150 megawatt wind farm in the US after a court ruled that it was trespassing on land owned by the Native American Osage Nation. Meanwhile, a French court ordered a wind project in the Languedoc region to be dismantled after it was found to have caused the deaths of a thousand bats and birds. And finally, permitting, which had been awarded for a proposed project by Vattenfall in Scotland, is now subject to a judicial review after campaigners argued that it would be detrimental to the habitat of critically endangered wildcats. In the first two cases, has there been a failure from the developers of community engagement in the pre-construction phase? And are they going to have to pay a lot more attention to the concerns of communities and campaigners when they're proposing new wind projects in the future, Will? So I think ultimately it's good that this can happen and that renewable energy projects aren't given carte blanche to go and destroy their local environment. To answer your question, I think it probably is reasonable to say that this is a failure of of stakeholder management and, and a failure of early development work to risk assess the projects and sufficiently understand the environmental or social impacts prior to starting to spend you know, significant development capital or indeed even constructing projects that then need to be removed. But there's enough land, there's enough sea to build these projects in a way which does not unnecessarily impact the environment. So the fact that some projects can't go ahead because the environmental impact is deemed too high is fundamentally a positive thing. For perhaps the developers of those projects may not agree with me. I take your point. I mean, it's such a great industry, isn't it? But it's just not very good at public affairs. And some of the top people in this industry have actually admitted that. They need to get better, don't they? Or acknowledging that that need to talk to the community groups and to think more about the local impact. We all have one end goal, and the end goal is that we want to get to net zero. But as more development is done more members of the general public, in some cases celebrities, are going to become increasingly aware of the impact that wind farms could have on the environment, but also the impact that wind farms have on their immediate environment, their own home, what they can see. Do you think that we are going to get more and more of this pushback over time as we continue the rollout of wind? Certainly developers need to get better. Uh, It's not the first instances we are seeing such challenges. Historically, we had many projects that ran into such kind of challenges and they were never built. The due diligence has to increase, number one. And number two, broadly speaking, globally, around only 20% of the projects in the pipeline will ever be realized. It could be because of the legal challenges, it could be permitting, it could be the developer's inability to secure financing, bankability, equipment, supply chain, XYZ problems. Less than a quarter of the projects will ever be realized. Developers should increase their attention to addressing such challenges. There will be even higher problems than that we are currently facing. That would be the the name of the game. That's pretty arresting statistic there, Shashi. You said that was reasonably common knowledge, but I don't think I really knew that. Literally one in five projects will actually go through to fruition and the other four will fall by the wayside. Okay, I'm going to take us on to one of our final topics for today, and that's floating wind. News emerged that High Wind Scotland, the world's first floating offshore wind farm, is going to have to close for about four months due to heavy maintenance and the fact that they'll need to tow the turbines back to shore. 
Is this a blow for the perception of floating offshore wind? Or in fact, is this some necessary maintenance that we should have expected, given that the wind farm has been in the water for several years? And what does that say more generally about the rollout of floating wind, which is not progressing as fast as we had anticipated or at least hoped? Shashi, should we start with you on that? If it is a fixed bottom or a floating or an onshore, turbine OEMs would have a technology learning over the years. And we have seen that there would be some routine maintenance or sometimes unplanned maintenance activities. And that will continue, whether it is the legacy technologies, the current or the next generation technologies. And this project, but it is the first large floating offshore wind project, and it has been running for seven years. That is certainly an accomplishment for the industry. We were too optimistic about floating, and we still are. We certainly need to be realistic about the technology rollout and some of the unforeseen challenges in realizing these floating projects. I would say... Between now and 2030, if more than 5% of the offshore projects are floating on a cumulative basis, globally, I would be positively surprised. The site characteristics are much more challenging because we do not have real-time experience. So we are at the juncture in the industry today where fixed bottom was about 15 years ago. The other challenge for floating is also the types of technologies that are available. We have 70 plus floater concepts. How many of them can you actually commercialize? I would expect probably no more than three, four concepts will be uh, ever commercialized. So there has to be a consolidation in the technology as well, because that would allow companies to build the supply chain and the economies of scale that would eventually help the developers to lower the cost. Oh, I've actually heard that it's over a hundred different potential technologies that we could be looking at. Will, I wondered if you had any comments. I mean, I think in the wind industry, generally, it's that we have a lot of optimism about a certain technology. We expect it to happen in a certain time frame. Certainly with turbines of the year, I had anticipated floating might actually be a category in its own right. It's not. We've still kept it as something to watch rather than a category because it's just too early. But do you think, given time, floating will become an extremely good resource for accessing very deep water? Fundamentally, I think we probably are on that pathway. But I think what we're learning is that it's actually very difficult and quite a lot more difficult than than fixed bottom offshore. I think the additional complexity of floating is going to mean that the development is slower. And I don't think we can expect the same sort of ramp up in terms of reliability, in terms of installed capacity, etc., as we've seen in fixed bottom that said, I'm not necessarily surprised about the news from High Wind Scotland. I think you know having to do some major maintenance on a turbine after it was in operation for seven years is certainly not unusual. It's positive that it's lasted this long without having a major intervention. But I think in the larger commercial projects, there's potentially a lack of focus on the operational side. We know how to construct floating structures more them in the ocean and allow them to operate safely. When we've done that in the past with shipping, with oil and gas, there's been much more O&M presence. Actually, there are people living on these structures. Ships are taken into dry dock every few years. The operational side is pretty mature. We still don't really know how to do heavy lifting 
operations that are required for a wind turbine maintenance in very deep water at a floating structure. What High Wind Scotland proposed to do, I think, was always part of their O&M strategy to tow the turbines back to a, a safe harbour and conduct the maintenance in much more favourable conditions. That's probably not going to work for large commercial projects, but have not necessarily seen the deep development of the operational methods that are going to allow that to happen. I'm quite sceptical that the recover and tow back strategy of O&M is going to work commercially in the long term. I would agree with that. And we might have a a little bit of a chicken and egg situation in that with as many different technologies as we have, it must be quite difficult to develop the parallel maintenance strategies that will allow us to do floating wind farm maintenance at sea in the longer term until we've actually settled on those smaller number of technologies that are going to be the ones that we roll out going forward. I think that's probably fair. I'm probably more focused on the wind turbine maintenance side, which is a little bit more standardised, but would be less impacted by the the floater technology. But of course, every floater technology is going to have its own distinct O&M requirements. And we've got 100 of these technologies that all have 100 separate O&M methodologies. That's going to be complicated. There's a lot of hardware that we're not used to dealing with in the offshore wind industry yet and will require maintenance. I think we're still in the early days of considering the real life impact of that. My main takeaway from what you just said there is that once again, the wind industry is trying very hard to run before it's learned properly how to walk. Characteristic of an industry which just forges ahead with innovation and technology and is wonderful in that respect. But actually, sometimes you've just got to stop, haven't you? And So finally, the first news review of the year wouldn't be complete without also taking a look forward at 2024. Shashi, what's your prediction for 2024 in the wind industry? We have seen in the last four years that there is a consecutive year-over-year decline for orders and new projects. And I feel that we have kind of reached the rock bottom. Starting from 2024, you would think that the order intake activity will increase, which is a function of increased developers' investments into projects. So we're going to see at least 20 plus percent increase in 2024 and beyond, which would also imply that the profitability in the industry is likely to increase going forward. So a cautious optimism in the industry. Love it. Like to hear that. Will's got to beat that one. Can you match Shashi for optimism, Will? Uh, maybe. Um, so I think uh, coming back to the discussion we had a little bit about the sort of the capacity challenges and targets, I'm going to be relatively specific and stick to my own backyard and be positive expectations for the CFD allocation round in the spring, summer in the UK. And a general sort of freeing up the offshore wind pipeline. We'll see a lot of positive progress on UK offshore projects this year. A few more projects reaching financial close, a few more projects entering construction and a good pipeline clearing through the next allocation round. That's fantastic. We've got two positive predictions from our panellists. That's great. And I think certainly more than we could have hoped for at the beginning of 2023. So some good news there for the wind industry. I think uh, that's a good note to end this month's uh, news review on. So I'd like to say, Shashi, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here always. And Will, thank you too. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to the Wind Power News Review with Ian Griggs and Claire Warren, looking back at the big stories over the last four weeks. Make sure you subscribe to the Wind Power podcast so you never miss an episode. And do feel free to leave us a review. 
For more news, comment and analysis on the wind industry, visit windpowermonthly.com.